Good morning. My name is Lexan. I'll be reading today's scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 through 4. I invite you to open your Bible and read along with me. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed to the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to, car to carry your gifts to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. This is God's word. <clears throat> a short passage today. I wonder if you guys are wondering how I'm going to get a sermon out of all of that. Uh, but yeah, today we are back in 1 Corinthians, and we are in our last chapter, chapter 16. So it's been, I think, over a year since we've been going through this book. So I uh, love seeing how the Holy Spirit has been working through this, this book, through uh, all the different topics. And so, of course, uh, last but not least is the topic that we come to today of giving, finances. If there was anything analogous to a root canal for a church, it might be this topic. Uh, so the good news is, you know, what I love about, exp you know, preaching through books of the Bible is this is not my agenda or Pastor Andrew's agenda. This was the next passage to teach on. And so what we're going to notice then is uh, Paul, you know, this is a bit of a flyby passage, isn't it? In four verses, he's just kind of saying, hey, by the way, about that giving uh, to the church in Jerusalem, here's how I want you to do it. Moving on, right? Well, it turns out this was a little bit of a landmine for the Corinthian church because they struggled to follow through on a commitment they had made to give to the poor Christians of Jerusalem. And the, way I, the reason we know that is because Paul wrote a second letter, 2 Corinthians. And he wrote that letter partially because the Corinthians were struggling to follow through with their giving to the saints in Jerusalem. The Corinthians are a little bit weird with money. It's a, it's, a, it's a tricky spot, and we're going to see Paul is going to be very careful with them, but in 2 Corinthians, he's going to write three chapters to address these four verses. He's like, okay, this is a big deal for you guys, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to really look at 2 Corinthians quite a bit. I'm, this is kind of my framework is 1 Corinthians, but we're going to get under the hood of what was going on with the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. Right? Did I say that right? <laughs> so there's a lot of Corinthians words going on. So we're going to get under the hood, and I think that will help us get under the hood about this idea of giving. And so just to back up for a second, what 1 Corinthians is doing in the life of the church is it's saying, look, if God has given us Jesus Christ, that means that God has poured out his love for us. And now Jesus is our justification, he's our righteousness, he's our sanctification, he's our wisdom. Those are all big words to mean that now we live our whole life based on who Christ is for us. Everything about our life needs to be shaped by Christ. It needs to be shaped by the gospel. 
And so therefore, if you're going to live in view of the love of God, it, that means it's been displayed and manifested in Christ. We have to turn away from the wisdom of the world and replace it with the wisdom of God. That's 1 Corinthians. We now have to live according to the wisdom of God. And so Paul, what he does is he brings us through all these different topics Right, he starts off by saying, well, so now this is how you need to approach sin in the church. We don't judge outsiders, but you gotta deal with it on the inside. This is how you need to deal with your bodies, how you need to steward your bodies sexually. And this is how you need to do that outside of marriage, inside of marriage, and in singleness. He talks about matters of conscious, uh, our conscience, and how we can be different, and how Christians ought to love each other in that. Uh, he's going to talk about spiritual gifts, traditions in the church like communion. And so we shouldn't be surprised that it, this also is going to need to touch on our relationship with money. And so we're going to need to let the wisdom of God shape our relationship with money. Now, if I were to ask you, is money a big deal in your life? Probably most of us would say yes. Right, And even if we wouldn't say that, I, for every single one of us, money is this constant presence in our life that we have to manage it. If we don't manage it, it's going to do all kinds of crazy things to our hearts. Right, It's going to drive our hearts either into greed and consumption and materialism or to despair and into uh, a sense of failure or hopelessness. And so we have to manage this. We have to um, get, dig in. Did I call it a root canal? We have to kind of get into the root of this. And it can be hard. We don't want to go there. But I think, and this is my encouragement in, from reading uh, the example in Scripture, is that money can be an amazing source of the power of God in our lives. And so what we're going to see in the New Testament is Paul's going to say that the way we, that God works through giving and the way Christians steward their money is a manifestation of grace. And it leads to praise and thanksgiving. And so I want us to be encouraged that the way we as a church and the way you steward money can be a very visible representation of God's grace amongst us. We should be eager to see that and want to be a part of that. So I hope that's what uh, we can do today. Um, and so we're going to look at kind of what is the heart of a giver uh, that is shaped by the gospel. So gospel-shaped giving, what is the heart of the giver? We're going to look at what is the need for giving, so the external needs that are pressing on believers. And then what is the power to give? What empowers us to do this work of giving? So I want to start off. When I talk about the heart of the giver, my first point here is that the gospel calls us to a willing giving of our finances, a willing giving. What I mean by this is that our desire to give as Christians needs to be generated from our own internal motivation, not coerced by spiritual leaders or other external factors. So we actually see this here in this passage. So in verse 2. It says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So notice that's kind of an interesting 
point he's making. I don't want to collect when I, I want you guys to do all this giving before I show up. So it's just ready to go. And why is that important? Well, he reveals a little more in 2 Corinthians. Look what he says here. He says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. And so do you see how careful Paul is being with this gift? So the, the, second, the Corinthians have committed to helping the saints in Jerusalem. The saints in Jerusalem were very poor. They were persecuted. They were struggling. And the Corinthians had gotten on this movement to want to help them. So this is their own desire. They have made a commitment, made a promise. And so Paul is wanting them to walk in that promise. And so he's going to be very careful with how he encourages them in that work. Again, he takes three chapters to encourage them to follow through without coercing them to follow through. And so, the que- so what I want to answer is, why is he so careful? This is unique with Paul because he's very bold to command them in other areas of life. But when it comes to money, he's, he's sensitive. He's um, diplomatic. And so why is that? And so if we go back to to 2 Corinthians, he's going to give the example of a different church, the Macedonian church. So the Corinthians uh, are in Greece, Achaia. Macedonia would be like Thessalonica and the, uh, um, the Philippian church. So he says this, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so just let's just capture that. The, the Macedonians gave beyond their ability. They were begging to help with the needs. Isn't that amazing? And in fact, I didn't read this, but it says out of a severe test of affliction and poverty, they wanted to do this. They were struggling themselves. They were in pain. They didn't have a lot of abundance, unlike the Corinthians, by the way, who are well off. And yet here they are wanting to give. And this is not as we expected. Paul was not expecting this, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so Paul, when he looks at giving, when he looks at what the Macedonians was doing, he sees something amazing. He says their giving was an overflow of them giving themselves to the Lord. And so giving needs to be willing and not coerced because it is an overflow of our relationship with Christ. And so that, that is why this is willing giving is gospel-shaped giving. Because when it comes to your money, God is not inviting you into a religious obligation. He is not inviting you to participate in some kind of religious tradition. He is first and foremost inviting you into a relationship with him. And so the gospel is saying, I want you to come and know me by my grace, that I love you, that I died for you. I want you to know my love. And so any giving needs to be just a result of that relationship. And Paul says, that's sacred. 
I don't want to mess with that. And so that makes giving a very unique work of grace amongst us because there are other areas of our life where Paul is going to command us. We're commanded to even rejoice. But when it comes to money, he says, that just has to be between you and God. And so that makes it a special act of grace when we give that that is completely between you and God. No one is commanding you to do that. That is a powerful reflection of the gospel, a beautiful reflection of the gospel that really only giving has that place. A lot of other things are commanded, but giving is unique where Paul is like, whoa, this is just between you guys and I'm just wanting to steward that. That's amazing. That is gospel-shaped giving. So just a couple application points from this first point here is that I think, first of all, leaders ought not to put undue pressure on the conscience of their people to give certain amounts. So this first application is really for church leadership and that, you know, like I'm aware of certain churches, I read about this, where they will require their staff to give 10% of their salary back to the church. And if they don't, they fire them. And I'm like, have you not read First and Second Corinthians, that sounds like exacting to me. And so this needs to be willing. This is something that God has to do in the church. And the church has to encourage it, but not pressure it. And so that's a, that's a culture that the church has to promote because that is what, the, what Paul is saying needs to be an overflow of the relationship that we have with Christ. That you are first invited to give yourself to God freely. And then the giving is free out of, from that. And then I'd say the second application is that you need to give an amount that feels right to you. So if we go back to our verse in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, notice this one little phrase that you're to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. That's saying you need to do an amount that works for what God has given you. Sometimes in the church, we, we might put a pressure to say you need to give 10%, the tithe. And I'd say that's not really what the New Testament teaches anymore. You just need to give according to what you feels right between you and the Lord. And that might be 10%. It might be less. It might be more. What feels right to you as you are prospering by God's abundance? That is what God wants you to be giving. Always, I always admire like uh, John Piper, for example, gave all of his proceeds from his books to his nonprofit. He lived off a, a pastor's salary. I mean, he'd be a millionaire several times over. Same with um, Rick Warren. He was a reverse tither. He gave 90% of his income back to the church. So what feels right to you? Some of you, it's more than 10%, some, of, some, some less, as you may prosper. So the gospel calls us to this willing giving because it's an overflow of our devotion to Christ himself. So it's internally motivated. That's a sacred part of your relationship with God that religious leaders are, are not to coerce that, not to exact that from you. But the question remains, giving to what? What is the need for giving? So I'll say it like this. The gospel creates an obligation to financial interdependence with one another. Now, first of all, what do I mean by obligation? Because didn't I just say we're supposed to be willing givers? 
And so what I'm going to say here is the Bible sometimes like to, what is that saying? Eat its cake and have it too? It's going to say both. <laughs> the Bible can get away with this, so I'm just the messenger here. In other words, internally, there should be a desire that's very willing to meet an obligation. That's kind of how the Bible talks about it. And so the idea is that by highlighting the needs, that the Spirit of God would move you to be eager to meet those needs. And so I see two obligations that press on us as believers. And the first one is an obligation to fairness. So verse 16, Paul writes, now concerning the collection, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. And so we notice here that Paul is referring back to their desire to give to the saints in Jerusalem. I've already mentioned that. They are poor. Now, I could have said that. I could have said our obligation is to give to the needy. There's people who, have, who are poor and needy, and that's our obligation. But Paul takes it farther than that. And so I want us to, I want us to look at this. So here, here the Corinthian church, they're struggling to give their gift so there's the poor in Jerusalem, and they're struggling to give. And I wonder, why might they be struggling to give? I don't really know. Uh, Paul doesn't say exactly, although he, he seems to um, indicate that maybe there was a sense of, hey, we've worked for this. Why should we give to people who are struggling? I mean, if they haven't earned it, they haven't earned it. We've earned it. Do you think that could be a struggle with giving that maybe we can relate to a little bit coming from capitalistic society. If you earn it, you keep it. And so let's just see what he says here. So skip the next verse. Let's see where we're at here. No, the next verse. Okay. Next one. So we want uh, verse 13 to 15. There we go. I don't have Martin's powers. That was amazing. Um, so this is what he says to the Corinthians. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. They're, that's why I'm, I think that's the, their hang up. Why are we being burdened so other people can just get off easy? Right? That, is that a hang up we might have? Look what he says. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their, their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness as it is written. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Wow. Wow. If you have an abundance, it's a matter of fairness to help somebody in need. It's fair for you to give to bring yourself down a bit to lift someone else up. 
Now, there's nuance here, okay? Paul's going to tell the Thessalonians that if they don't work, they don't eat. So he's not commending idleness. But that's another matter of, of gospel motivation that we ought to work and not just be idle and live off of. And this is what Paul's, it's not about easing people who just don't want to work. That's not what this is. But there are people who are sincerely working, sincerely struggling, and, struggle, and, and they're financially struggling. And those of us in abundance, Paul says, there is a matter of fairness here. So again, our capitalistic thinking, there's nothing wrong with capitalism. It is a good system of commerce, right? It gives us freedom to work and earn money. That's fine. But what I am cautioning us, and I think what the Spirit is challenging us today, is you have to be careful of the attitude that can produce. The attitude that we have needs to be driven by the gospel, not society, because I think our society essentially operates, if you earn it, you keep it. If you earn it, it's yours, and if you don't earn it, mm, tough luck. That's unbiblical, Solano family. That is not the gospel. That's not equality, that's not fair. Why not? Why is our abundance a matter of fairness? Paul says this in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I love, I don't know how Paul gets away with this, right? He says, I don't command you. I just want you to prove your love is genuine. Thank you for the freedom you just gave me there. So he's challenging them and say, is this is what love is about? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So Paul is saying, the gospel itself, the shape of Jesus himself was that he had abundance, he made himself poor, he emptied himself, he literally took on our sin so that you could have heaven. That is the nature of the gospel, and we stand in that. And Paul is saying, are you going to stand in that? And, but when it comes to your own money, you're just going to say, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Paul says, that's not love. That's not holiness. This is the character of the God who saved us. He gives out of abundance to help those who are poor and struggling. That's why it's a matter of fairness. That we are walking in the love and example and holiness that God has given to us and given us an example of. And so notice the principle of interdependence. That we as a church actually have a need to give to those who are in need. Their need is an opportunity for us to be blessed by giving away our abundance. Otherwise, that abundance becomes a poison to us. Conversely, it's a chance for us to display the gospel to the world. And so we are dependent on each other, actually. Those who are struggling and have a need, we should be eager to say, wow, this is an opportunity for me. Mutual interdependence. So that should elicit a eager desire that if 
My giving to the needy displays the gospel. I want to do that. That should not be, have to be coerced from us who have received so much from Christ, right? It should, be, it should be able to flow out is what Paul, again, I hope I'm, I hope I'm handling this correctly because, again, Paul is challenging the Corinthians. They're struggling to give. They're holding on to their money. And so he's like, ugh, you guys, I'm not commanding you, but look at what the gospel is here. That's what he's doing. I hope you feel not. There's one other source of obligation, and that is the obligation to provide material benefit to those who supply us with spiritual benefit. That's the second clear obligation Paul articulates. So again, going back to the giving of Jerusalem to the poor saints, what's interesting is not only do they have a need, Paul actually, in, this is in Romans, look at, how he, look at how he talks about this. By the way, it turns out that the Corinthians gave their gift. Woohoo! Praise God. So Paul, it worked. Whatever he was saying worked. They gave their gift. And here is what he says in Romans. He says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, that's the Corinthians, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. Do you see the, yay, they wanted to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. There's the cake and eating it too. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. So what that's saying is that because the the gospel came out of the Jews uh, at great cost to the Jews, especially the Christians who believed and then spread it, Paul is saying you actually kind of owe them because of how they blessed you spiritually with the gospel. That's what he's saying. And so he's going he's gonna to articulate that more clearly to the Corinthians. He says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? And so Paul is saying that, you know, it is right to take a salary from the church that is that, they, that a minister is giving to, Paul doesn't do it with the Corinthians because they would have looked at that with suspicion. And he says, I'd rather die than make you suspicious of my reason for sharing the gospel. I want to get, I'm giving this freely. I'm boasting in it. So I'll go ahead and make, be a tent maker because I, I don't want to mess up your perception of why I'm doing this. But he's saying, but the church that matures in the wisdom of God ought to supply those needs. And so, again, notice the principle of interdependence. That the, 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 past, the pastors and the staff were working to provide teaching and paths for growth and spiritual work. And you are helping to meet uh, the, our, our material needs, putting food on our table. We need that. We need each other. It's mutually independent and it produces what Paul says is mutual thanks and praise and worship. That is a powerful bond that God wants uh, a church to have with its spiritual workers. And so this is what he says in Philippians 4. Philippians, by the way, um, not only helped with the giving to the saints, they also provided for Paul financially. They're one of the few churches to actually do that. They, they, they were happy to actually 
uh, give him money personally as well as to the relief of the saints. He says, I have, received, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so when Paul looks at that, he sees worship and praise. He sees God at work, mutual thanksgiving and joy. Just read Philippians. Watch how affectionate he is with them, how much he appreciates them, and they appreciate him. That is a healthy, good interdependence that God wants us to feel as we labor together. I um, appreciate it. I don't know if you guys got to hear Nathan and Dominique Kwan uh, shared their testimony on why they give. They're, they're members of our church and they said this, rather than seeing the church as a place to consume, uh, we uh, want to see it as a place to contribute. And by giving, we enable others to use their gifts in ministry. And so, I, so what they're saying, I think, connects here is they're saying, you know, when we give, we immediately feel the joy of how that helps other people use their gifts. And so they, they're, they're expressing that interdependence. We have an ability to give, and that, we see the fruit of that right away. And so that is pleasing to them. And so that is a willing heart that I appreciate. I know the staff appreciate that. And so that is beautiful. So in the gospel, we begin to live out this interdependence, I'm calling it, so that both givers and receivers experience the power of worship through willing giving. And receiving, and that is a work of grace. And so Paul says, let's lean into that, let's accept that. Um, and so the last question then is, how are we empowered in our giving? And so the gospel shapes our giving to be willing, it creates an interdependence, and lastly, it empowers us to partner with Him. The gospel is the one is actually doing the work to empower us. Paul says this again in 2 Corinthians. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. There it is, clear theme, repetition. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency, sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is able to empower you for all works of ministry, everything you do in his name, including your giving. So he's powerfully at work in you. And so I think that means a few things for us. If God is empowering us, that means a few things. First of all, we should view our giving as literally God's grace in your life. When you make a commitment to give, that's God working in your life. That's an act of grace. That's something to celebrate. That's something to cheer and to know that God is working in you. So that's his grace abounding. So that's a cause for cheerfulness, I believe. Secondly, we should expect that God will call us to give in ways that require faith. If it's an act of grace, there are going to be times where God is going to call you to give and you're going to trust him with that. That's what happened with the, with the Philippians and the Macedonians. They gave according to their means and beyond their means. They saw a need and they're like, oh my gosh, we want to jump in. And they trusted the Lord with that gift. Just to put some numbers on this, I want to share an example. 
that I experienced and the power of what that did um, for the gospel. Jamie and I were for eight or nine years in charge of a college ministry at San Jose State. Crew, some of you know of it. And when you're on staff with crew, you have to raise your own support personally for our own compensation and our operational expenses for the campus ministry. So every year we would have to, uh, or, or I'm sorry, we got to, we had the opportunity and privilege to host a fundraiser dinner for people who cared about reaching students in the community, and we would share what God was doing and invite people to support that financially and prayerfully. And I remember there was this young couple in their 20s, and uh, he had a good job, a tech job. So a good job, but for this area, nothing too special, software engineer. And uh, so our first dinner, they gave $5,000. So a young couple in their 20s, $5,000. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. Second dinner, they didn't give. And I was like, uh-oh, I called them up. Actually, they wrote a note, please call us. I was like, oh, no. And I called him, and he, you know, we were trying to raise $30,000. And um, he said, how much did you guys raise? And I was scared to tell him. It was 12, we, I said we raised $12,000. And he said, we'll cover the rest. And I'm like, no, did you hear, I mean, math here. Did you hear what I said? He's like, yeah, we'll cover the rest. And I guess him and his wife had prayed and said, whatever, whatever that they don't raise, we'll cover. The next year, this is hard to say, they gave $30,000. And then the next year, they gave $5,000 because our vision dinner had raised so much money, they didn't need to give big. So... In the course of four or five years, this couple in their 20s gave over $50,000 to help students come to know Christ at San Jose State. Now, they gave stock, by the way. So this was someone who they realized they had an abundance, and they felt called to give. Now, again, I don't want this to be a pressure on any of you. I don't expect you to give that way, but some of you might. Some of you might be called to and moved to give, and I want you to feel the freedom to do that. I want you to feel the freedom to follow God's promptings because this world would look at that and be like, you're crazy. And that could be a wet blanket on the power of God's grace at, your, at work in you through his blood by faith to give these amazing acts of, gift, of, uh, of giving that leads to praise and thanksgiving and worship because we saw students come to Christ year after year after the giving started. Is that interesting? Our ministry uh, flourished over the next four or five years. It coincided with the giving. Now, part of that is because the giving literally helped us just pay for things. But I think more was at work there. I think God was at work in, in, by his power in our, us as missionaries and in people wanting to support that. God was moving. If God is moving, dollars will follow that. And so we want to be open to God wanting to move, and that's going to mean that he's going to be calling us to give in a way that he's going to empower, which means at times it's going to feel risky. It's going to sting a little bit. I don't doubt that giving $50,000 stung was hard at times for them, but it was a happy sting. It was one they wanted to give freely between them and God. And lastly, then, if God empowers our giving, we can anticipate our giving will bring about Amazing results. And so Paul says this, 
for the ministry of this service. So he's at the end of his three chapters talking about the, the giving to Corinthians to the Jerusalem is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is overflowing and many thanksgiving to God. So money is not just money. God is using money. He is increasing worship as we are faithful to give of this gift, faithful to manifest his grace through this very unique way of willing donations to the needy and to the work of God. And so what I want to do is I just want to end by sharing ways to give. Some of you may be feeling like, well, what do I do? You know, how do I give? And some of you, many of you are giving. I'll say this too. I feel encouraged by Solano. I think there's generosity here. So my hope is that this sermon is mainly to stir up and inspire that we may abound still more and be really inspired in that, right? Uh, and so I think... You know, the Corinthian church, they were, they were really holding on to their money. And so I think when you are wealthy, it can be harder to give away money. When you are struggling or poor, what the, the tendency, at least in Scripture, is that they were more eager to help the poor. And so when we're well off, we can have a disconnect with those who are struggling, right? And so I hope that encourages us. And so here are some ways that, that are currently you are able to give. And the first way is Solano has a benevolence fund. This goes directly to people in need. We've used that to, to help marriages that are struggling. We've given a lot of uh, uh, money to people who need counseling. Uh, we've helped it with, with single mothers. We've used it to help people who just come off the street needing food and gas. So when you give to the Benevolence Fund, it's a designated account, which means it's, it's only used for that. And so that goes directly to people in need. I'll remind us that we also gave... Uh, uh, we also had a 5% budget increase, which the members approved. And so that's saying that there is a need for our spiritual workers to increase the cost of living a little bit. And so, you know, Jamie and I, we increased our giving 10% this year. Uh, and so that is something that you, if the Lord calls you to help with, especially if you voted on it, help us meet that budget need. I want to highlight one of our missionaries, the Mohegans, and with El Ayudante, they are full-time in Honduras. They are serving the poor in Honduras, and so they actually have a giving campaign right now to help build a building on their site, which their, their uh, mission is to enable and equip the community to build up and meet the needs of its community itself. So they're trying to plant churches uh, by empowering the locals and teaching the local Hond uh, Hondureños. Uh, so I, I appreciate their ministry. I love their ministry. We support them financially as a church, but they have a special giving need that I encourage you to look into. And lastly, you know, since we've moved here to El Cerrito, we've been asking this question, how can we be a part of what God is doing in this community? We're a little newer to this community. We were in Albany, and then we moved. So we've been here about three years. And there is a church, um, Living Hope Neighborhood Church, that's been doing good mercy ministry for years. They're way ahead of us. And they are, that we've, we've began to explore a partnership with them. And so we did a Boxes of Love uh, outreach this year where that was headed up by them where we gave Thanksgiving meals to people in need. 
And so we'll have more to share on that uh, as we explore that. But I just wanted you to know that we're, we're looking for ways to meet the needs of this community as well. And I think some of my sermon is not just to help all of you, you know, be inspired to give to the needy, but it's a call on us as a church and us as leaders to help you to say, hey, here are the ways that, that we are partnering um, in the community so you can feel confidence about where and how to steward that. And so that's, uh, just preaching this sermon, like, put heat on me and our team to continue to press into this. And so I just trust that you guys, that the Lord, you, you felt the heart of this, that felt the heart of the gospel to want to give willingly, and that that is sacred between you. And so this is not a coercive sermon. You let me know if it was, uh, but that the needs are clearly presented to you, and you get a sense of how God will empower you in that good work. And let me pray. Father, I pray that you would um, take your word as Lydia prayed and let us receive it from you. Lord, I trust that any, of, any part of my message that accords with the gospel in your word would be received. Anything that uh, was maybe wrong would, would be rejected, Lord, that we would walk in the purity of the gospel uh, Lord, so let us be unified, let us trust you, and let us be interdependent on one another in this area of our finances, Lord. Purify our hearts and let us be sanctified in our view of money, which can have such a stranglehold on our heart, both in fear or in greed. And Lord, let us be cheerfully sanctified in you, Lord, trusting and giving to you and out of the abundance that you've given us in a way that we feel good about, Lord, not pressured, not guilty. Uh, Lord, I pray you would even raise up uh, some, uh, some gifts that are uh, extravagant, uh, 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 in ways of faith where people are trusting you with that amount. Uh, and so some, some work of grace would be, would be done in that way as well, Lord. Uh, and empower those of you who you are calling to give that way. And so, Lord, would you bless your church, bless your kingdom with an outpouring of praise, both in good deeds, good works, and in our giving. We pray this in Jesus' name.